from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He asked, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. This is the word of God for us today. Well, good morning. It is a deep pleasure for Vicki and I to be back at Johnson Street today. We've been away for six or seven or so weeks since we've been uh, down to be with you and uh, driving down this morning it felt like hey we're going back home a great pleasure to be here uh, it's uh, been good though to keep uh, at least in distant touch with you in various ways there's been a lot going on at Johnson Street vacation bible schools and camps I guess campers are coming home today yeah and uh, lots of uh, work in Brazil and other places going on this summer. Lots of excitement there. Lots of good things going on in this church. Other ways that I hear about you uh, have to do with uh, 
search for uh, a senior minister. I've uh, been in conversation with your committee a lot over the last several weeks and with persons that are getting stirred up across this country as uh, your, that committee is doing its good work as I hear from uh, ministers and others. And uh, all of that is very good. God is at work in this church, and we need to continue to be simply persons who practice prayer, knowing that God's will and purpose is being worked out for us as a people. Well, one of the reasons why Vicki and I have not been here in recent weeks is I had a lot of uh, both teaching commitments and then travel. We uh, spent nearly three weeks in uh, the UK, Scotland, and uh, in London. Some of that was a highly overdue anniversary trip that I promised Vicki five years ago that just now took place. I tell you what, it's not good to let things like that go on too long. But uh, we got to spend a lot of time in the Highlands, uh, where the highs were about 55 in the day and 49 at night. I loved it. Uh, It was a bit of a shock to fly in uh, Friday afternoon at 106 degrees into Abilene. Um, some of it was in London and uh, some, some work, uh, professional work that I needed to do and some presentations made in London, and academic conferences on practical theology and other sorts of things. But through all of that, we got to spend a lot of time seeing lots of beautiful places. One of the things that we really were struck with were gardens. Uh, the English garden is something, a sight to behold. It was the English who uh, began to think about formal gardens in a different way in Europe and the old countries. Uh, up until the English got to messing around with gardens in the 1700s, the idea was that architecture designed everything. It was all imposed by humankind. And so you go to Versailles or someplace in France and you find everything in neat orderly rows uh, where it shows the influence of humankind pressed down upon the earth. But not so for the English garden. The English garden is a way of of which humankind enter into the world of nature and it's a partnership. And so the English garden is, is, uh, is flourishing with wildness and beauty and possibility and what looks like it's sort of disorganized because nature itself doesn't always find itself in neat straight roads, right? English garden. So we were at the Castle of Cawdor up in the highlands of Scotland. And there was structure and order, but there was also just this blaze of colors uh, flourishing at different heights and levels. Or even in Hyde Park in London, uh, in this vast park in the middle of the city of London, there we could see the beauty and possibilities of nature coming forth in those gardens. Gardens. Our story this morning comes in a garden. It's no surprise, perhaps, for us that the very first job that humankinds were ever given was to be gardeners. Uh, We back up from our text a few verses into chapter 2, and what do we find? God speaking to the man saying, Here, I'm placing you in a garden, and your job is to till and to keep it. Uh, One of the favorite people in my life, now long dead, when I knew him, he was in his 80s and his 90s, was a fellow by the name of Porter McKay, and he was a gardener, a master gardener. And uh, he he loved to tell me that uh, gardening was the world's oldest profession, and he was right. He was right. 
Uh, People have been called on to till and keep the earth and work and partner with God to bring forth fruitfulness. It was amazing to us as we were touring around in museums that we would go into these places like the National Gallery in London or the Scottish Gallery and, and you would, uh, in, in Edinburgh, and you would see these masterpieces of art. And, of course, there was the usual kinds of stuff, religious scenes and other kinds of things. But it struck both of us how often we would see uh, landscapes and still lifes and portraits, but there would be fruit, produce in the picture. In the painting, as if to say that one of the ways in which humankind flourish is when we see gardens flourish and grow. That's the place that God put human beings in the very beginning. To be in a place where flourishing and growing and health and fruitfulness was the order of the day. And then he did something else. And this is where, church, I want you to pay close attention to. And he did something else in that moment that is so critical for us to understand. And so often we mess this little point up. He created a boundary. A boundary. You can eat anything in this garden that you want to eat. You can enjoy it all, but there's this one thing I'm asking you not to do, and that is not to eat from this particular tree. It was a boundary for the sake of the well-being of the human beings. Now, here's the problem that I mentioned a moment ago. All too often, though, as human beings, we think boundaries are things that are put in our way to keep us from doing the things we want to do rather than seeing boundaries as safety margins that create freedom and hopefulness for us. Now, you'll have to ask Vicki about this, but driving, I drove about 1,400 miles in Scotland in the Highlands over the last three weeks. If anybody ever been to Scotland, you know how, how narrow the roads are and how tight the lanes are. And sometimes it's not plural, it's one lane, and you've got to kind of navigate up along the hillsides with oncoming traffic and there ain't no room and sometimes there's a guardrail there and sometimes there ain't but you want to kind of stay as far away from the guardrail right as possible because the boundary is there for your well-being not for you to go jumping over we understand that with road traffic but sometimes in other aspects of our lives say with the ten commandments or say with uh, our relationships with other human beings, we somehow or another think that we get a pass on boundaries and we see them as limitations, doggone it, and I'm going to press right on through them to see what's on the other side. And the curiosity that gets the cat gets us in a whole heap of trouble. And that's exactly what happens in our story today. Eve is there, Along with Adam, and, and guys, don't think that Adam somehow gets us off, that Eve's actions gets up off the hook. You heard when I read it a while ago. He was standing right there, and he kept his mouth shut uh, during all of that when he could have spoken up. He didn't. But I'm talking about Eve now. And Eve is standing there, and the crafty snake comes along, and he does what temptation always does. It creates... Just a little space for doubt 
to pop in. Did God really say that you can't eat? It's a way of creating. Doubt is a leverage point in which the temptation to take boundaries and see them rather as, as something that protects us and it turns it into something that becomes a threat to our existence that we have to transcend in some way. And Eve is caught on the horns of a dilemma with this little insertion of doubt. Did God say this? And in that moment, she could have made, she, she could have made a choice. She could have said, well, let me double check with God about this and ask God about it. But instead, Eve did something that we all, I think, do. We begin to speak for God. We begin to sort of interpret what we think God is up to. Or we begin to remake God in our own image. In fact, she says, well, I'll tell you, Snake, what, exactly what God said. He said, don't you eat it. And then she starts making stuff up. She makes stuff up. He, she, she says, he said, don't even touch it. Now, God didn't say that. See, she's, she's taking something and she's kind of just working it. And in working it, she distorts it and never once ever asks whether or not, asks God directly, what was it that you said about this? This is the sort of thing that Satan loves to do with us human beings. It happens to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, after his baptism. Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism, hears uh, the voice of the Heavenly Father as a dove descends upon him. This is my beloved, help me out church, my beloved son in whom I'm pleased. And then 40 days in the desert, nothing to eat. And Satan comes and he plays that little doubt movement. He says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, you hear that doubt? The insertion of, oh, now I've got a crisis. Anxiety begins to come into the play. And what am I going to do in this moment? Is it true or not? Is it true or not? Is it true or not? That's what's happening for Eve in this moment. And in that moment, Eve does what we all too often do, that rather than talking to God directly or uh, engaging with the wisdom of God, the words of God, the life of God, the presence of God, she begins to assert herself and become an interpreter of God, and she does so, and she distorts it, and she sets herself up for the fall that takes place. Church, I offer this to you today because all too often when we find ourselves in points of crisis, and that's the very human thing to do, we're going to find ourselves being tempted. Tempted. We're going to find ourselves at crisis points, at forks in the road that we've got to make choices. In moments when our emotions get high and we're tempted to say something or we're tempted to act in ways that we're not so sure about, And in those moments, the question that I want us to ask is, what did God say? What is the wisdom of 
God? What is the thing that God would desire of us? What is it that God longs for? What is it that God whispers in our ears when we spend time with him in the garden alone as we spoke, sung so powerfully a few moments ago? What will we do in those moments? Hey, have you seen the new movie uh, Wonder Woman? Somebody has because it's been making millions of dollars. I mean, it's like grossing. It's like the biggest all-time grossing movie or something, right? I, I've been kind of out of the country, but I've been following this. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty good movie. It's interesting to me that Wonder Woman has a moment of temptation. Will she give in to the, the plea of her older brother Ares and become a part of the destructive forces of evil? Or will she uh, make another kind of choice? Her sidekick, Steve Trevor, you know, Chris, the Chris Pine character, for those of you who've seen the movie. Oh, the youth are all gone, right? So, somebody, have, has anybody seen this movie? Okay, all right. I just want to make sure I'm connecting with some of you. Okay, confess it, right? So, Steve, the, uh, the Chris Pine character, right, Steve Trevor, is tempted as well. Will he, will he give up on the thing that he knows that duty calls him to do? And in both cases, those two key characters make a choice to honor love and duty over other things that help guide them in very difficult choices that they have to make. That's the thing that, we're, that all of us as human beings are faced with. And it happens to us as we encounter life and we have to make choices about what we're going to do. Now, What would have been nice if Eve had done something along the lines of what Jesus models for us in his temptation in Matthew 4? When Jesus heard the words from Satan, if you are the son of God, then take these stones right here and make bread out of them. Demonstrate to yourself and to others that you truly are the son of God and take care of your basic human need to eat. And in that moment, Jesus does something that I am commending to you to do. He says, for it is written, no, for it is written, that humankind does not live by bread alone, but by the words that come pouring forth out of the heart of God. What Jesus does is remind himself and everybody else around him, in this case Satan, that what gives life to him is not pushing beyond boundaries, but rather honoring the wisdom and the word of God in his life. It would be nice if Eve could have pulled that one off. She didn't. And it'd be nice if you and I could learn to do the same. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. Um, but the good news is, the good news is that God is faithful to us no matter what in these kinds of in 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 this in this in this reality that we have to fa- that we do face. He is faithful to us. He's faithful to us as we pay time time and attention with him and toward him. It happens for Jesus on another occasion, this time near the end of his life. He happens to be in a garden. We sang about it a few moments ago as we, break bread, as we broke bread together. 
that, that garden where he prayed all alone. Lord, let this cup pass from me. He found himself in crisis, a fork in the road. Do I take the path that leads to my own death and destruction and that which is unknown beyond? Or do I find another way? Can we walk away from this? Can this cup, will will you take this cup away from me? Do I have to drink this cup? That's the question. It's a moment of decision for Jesus. What does he do? He prays. He prays. He spends time with God. He allows for his being to be completely aligned with and in tune with the heartbeat of God. And in so doing, finds the courage to do something very difficult indeed. He finds the path that is marked by duty and love and sacrifice. Which is, by the way, why I think Wonder Woman is actually a very Christian film on this point, for those of you who've seen it. (laughs) That's the calling that we've been given, is to, to act in such a way that allows for God to be present to us in our walking, in our decision making. That we avoid the temptation that's always present to us to let our anxiety in those moments when we are challenged Uh, to to divert us into making stuff up or asserting ourselves in some way. And it's something that all of us have to deal with and wrestle with. Mark Twain once said that man is the only animal animal that blushes and the only animal, animal that needs to, if I can say that word, right? We find ourselves dealing with shame. We find ourselves dealing with failure. And we find ourselves having to wrestle with what is the good thing, the right thing, the honorable thing to do. And the only way that I know for us to be able to do that is that when God comes calling in the gardens of our lives and asks, where are you, that we learn to orient our lives, not by our self-assertion, not by our own quest to know and to control and to be the masters of our own destiny, but rather that we define ourselves fully and completely in our relationship to God himself, God alone. Then in that knowing that the things that he calls us into and the ways in which he invites us to live our lives and the choices that he invites us to make for the sake of the good in the world, are ones that are healthy and good and honorable and will see us through to a good end. That is uh, what uh, boundaries are for and what God invites us into. As I close this morning, I want to share a prayer, really. It's a prayer, it's, it's a poem, but I'm telling you... Uh, that it's a prayer because you won't know it until the very last line of the the poem. It's a poem written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor who uh, actually got caught up in uh, trying to bring uh, World War II to a quicker end by uh, being a part of an assassination plot against Hitler. He gets thrown in jail and spends the last several years of his life in, in prison He writes this poem that I'm about to read to you while he is in prison. 
And just before the war comes to an end, the, the Gestapo hanging, uh, just weeks before the end of hostilities. This is his struggle as he tries to find his path forward in knowing who he is in relationship to God. He asks the question, who am I? They often tell me I, I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from the country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as, as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me that I bore the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really what other men tell of me? Or am I only what I myself know of myself? Restless, longing, and sick like a bird in a cage struggling for breath as though hands were compressing around my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, of neighborliness, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at infinite distance. Weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? Am I this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both uh, one at once? A hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible, woe-begone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder? from victory already achieved. Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou, O Lord, knowest that I am thine. What's allowed for Bonhoeffer to live victoriously to the very end of his life taken violently by hanging what guided Jesus in his moments of crisis and I'm I'm not trying to be cheesy here but what helps Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor make the choices they make in that film is a clear sense of their identity and of their purpose in life and so I'm speaking right now to a church of people baptized into Jesus Christ. And for you and for I, what gives us identity and meaning and helps us navigate those forks in the road that we come to is nothing less nor nothing more than speaking to and living in relationship with God and not seeking to try to figure stuff out all on our lonesome. Because when we do, When we begin to listen to snakes and serpents, and when we begin to listen to our own egos, and when we begin to listen to the voices of the world, we will inevitably press ourselves beyond the good boundaries that God has given to us and find ourselves up a creek without a paddle. Don't listen to snakes. Be people 
who live and walk with with God in the gardens and the places where he meets us each day. Let's stand together and sing.